I'm Erin. I'm Sarah. I'm Megan. And this is the Tribbles and Transporters podcast. You could write about something in science fiction. So I dreamed up the Star Trek idea so that I could comment on man and society. The whole show was an attempt to say that humanity will reach maturity and wisdom on the day that it begins not just to tolerate, but to take a special delight in differences in ideas and differences in life forms. You know the greatest danger facing us is ourselves and a rational fear of the unknown. There's no such thing as the unknown. Only things temporarily hidden, temporarily not understood. Open your mind to the past, art, history, philosophy, and all this may mean something. There comes a time in every man's life when he must stop thinking and start doing. Fear only exists for one purpose, to be conquered. We're going to stumble, make mistakes, I'm sure, more than a few before we find our footing. But we're going to learn from those mistakes. That's what being human is all about. The heart of real science fiction is stories about people and ideas. Because it says it's not all over, it's not going to go up in smoke, we're going to make it. Because it says the human adventure has just begun. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 49 of the Triples and Transporters podcast. We're three Trekkie gals who grew up in the 90s and fell in love with Star Trek for many of the reasons you just heard. Even though we consider ourselves Trekkies, there's a lot of Star Trek we've never seen before, which is why we're cycling through all the episodes of the completed series, learning all about the cool behind-the-scenes stuff and talking about our reactions to each episode. We'll also be tackling topics within the Star Trek universe and do interviews with occasional guests. Today's episode is all about Phage from Star Trek Voyager. If you're listening for the first time, we want to let you know very quickly who we are. My name is Megan, and I am the Deep Space Nine mega fan here on the podcast, although I do love Next Generation. Um, I've seen a lot of um, Voyager, almost all of Voyager, a little bit of Enterprise, and some of the original series. Um, So it's been great to be in this um, podcast and be revisiting episodes that I've seen before, especially this one. And on that, we'll let Erin introduce herself because she's the resident Voyager expert. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I was just going to say this was uh, my week to be back with my crew. So my name is Erin and uh, I grew up with Star Trek starting with Next Generation, uh, watching some reruns of the original series, uh, watched all of Deep Space Nine, all of Voyager, and then never really got started on Enterprise. So it's been great going back and getting into it for the podcast. And I'm Sarah. I started watching Star Trek with TNG in the 90s, and it has remained my favorite Star Trek series. But admittedly, I have not seen all of, or much of, actually, the other series. Um, DS9 would be the one that I've seen the most of, like kind of the last couple of seasons primarily. When it comes to Voyager... I have seen a handful of full episodes, mostly on this podcast, I think, the ones we've watched so far. So uh, this episode, Phage, was one I have not seen before, so this was my first time watching it. 
But before we get into the rest of the episode, just want to give you a quick rundown of what to expect. We're going to move into our music challenge next, where I challenge Aaron and Megan to identify a little clip of music from Star Trek. Then we're going to get into the phage recap, where we kind of give you a refresher on what this episode is about. Then we'll move to our what did you think segment, where we give you our first takes on this episode. Then we'll do our favorite part, which is the quiz, where we quiz each other on various things in the episode. Then we'll get into our episode discussion with some behind-the-scenes stuff. And then finally, your listener feedback. But first, we get to the music challenge. This is where I play a random music clip from somewhere in Star Trek, and Aaron and Megan have to guess where it's from. It's our way of paying homage to the music of our one of our favorite franchises. And we also have a lot of little... Well, I have a lot of fun with it. I don't know. They probably don't. (laughs) But uh, as always, feel free to play along and see if you can guess it before they do. You're almost guaranteed to. All right. Here we go. That's a good one. That was beautiful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely had some strains of Star Trek themes in there, like the recognizable themes. Um, mm-hmm. But man, I'm trying to place it. My first instinct is to say it sounds like something that would be an Enterprise. So I'm going to say it's somewhere in Enterprise. Wow. I am shocked right now that you got it right away. Wow. <laughs> oh, my word. All right. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I had no guess. That's awesome. Cool. What What made you think of Enterprise? Well, I just thought it definitely had a newer Star Trek sound, but not necessarily newer as in like Picard or uh, Discovery, something like that. Um, And it had a sentimentality to it that I think Enterprise kind of has because it's got a nostalgia to it. Yeah, well, you hit the nail on the head. Very good. Searching to replenish their dilithium supplies, Voyager encounters the Vidians, who assault other races for their organs. Neelix is attacked and his lungs are taken. Now it's a race against time to retrieve the stolen lungs and save his life. So, what did you guys think of the episode? Well, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Well, um, this is a episode that introduces what I think is a really interesting race in Voyager. Um, They do become regular, uh, they have regular appearances on the show. So um, it was a nice introduction to them. I think it brings up some interesting questions of um, morality between races when, you know, someone's had to make a tough choice, but it's making 
you know, impossible choices for other people and all of that sort of thing. So um, I thought it was a, a good episode considering it was purely an introduction of a new uh, alien. Yeah, I say overall, I kind of liked it. Uh, there were a couple of things that were a little weird to me in it, but um, I didn't think it was a, a bad episode. I thought it was maybe slightly better than just like a mediocre episode as well. So I also find that I like Neelix. I know he's one of the least like characters on Voyager, or at least that's his reputation. Mm. But I find that I kind of find him charmingly adorable. I don't know. Um so I don't really have a problem with that. And it was interesting that they had an episode for him so early on in the series. Um, one thing that's still weird for me is a holographic doctor having these moody like emotions and tantrums and stuff like that. It just It's just weird to me. I don't know. Uh, maybe because I'm coming from like Data's perspective and uh, how he's not a uh, real human. And so to me, it just seems like the doctor should be the same way. But that said, uh, I do love the humor that he brings mm. to the show. So yeah. And I thought the ending was kind of awkward the way that they did it. But um, like I said, overall, I thought it was a pretty decent episode of Star Trek. Yeah. I enjoyed this one too. I loved the introduction of this new species um, into Voyager. Actually, I liked them as a better quote unquote enemy um, than the Kazon that was introduced in the series premiere. This seems like a much more dangerous um, species that has been introduced in um, versus what we've seen so far of the Kazon. I like the moral dilemma of the show of this episode. So yeah, all in all, I enjoyed this episode. All right. So now it's time for our quiz. Can't you pay attention? Write down all those star dates. No more than a kitten. Which of the hosts knows more about the show? The quiz is where we ask each other five questions to see which one of us was paying the closest attention while we were watching the episode. Now, you can play along with us and keep track of your score and let us know how you did. And then at the end of the quiz section, we are going to have a listener quiz question. It's going to end up being posted on our social media, and then uh, you will be able to answer that, and we will read out uh, people who get the answer correct. So looking back at our previous listener quiz questions, we actually have two to cover and give the answers for this time. Uh, from the uh, Code of Honor episode for TNG, our listener question was, how many jokes did Data tell? And the multiple choice answers were all high numbers, uh, but the correct one was 662. And uh, uh, if any of them were as bad as the one in the episode, uh, they were probably big flops. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, we did not have any correct answers on that one. That was a little uh, more difficult uh, one. You had to probably have just watched the episode to get that one correct. Uh, and then uh, from our Deep Space Nine episode, we asked, what office was Mr. Zayra in charge of? 
And we had one correct answer there. Uh, We had Ian Davies get that answer correct, and it was the Transit Aid Center. All right, so the way our quiz is going to work is that I uh, have a list of our names, uh, and I have numbers beside our names, and I am going to roll a die to see who gets to go first in asking their questions. And then we will each ask each other five questions and we'll see who gets the most questions correct. And Megan, you get to go first. <laughs> In my head, I was chanting, let me go first. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have that many questions. There you go. Yay. Okay. Uh, so um, at the beginning of the episode, uh, Voyager is looking for what type of planetoid? I don't know this one. It was a rogue planetoid. That is correct. <laughs> I would have never guessed that in a million years. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, in the beginning, Chakotay and Janeway are talking about um, a plan that Lieutenant Taurus has put together to modify the um, and process to modify this spe- specific part of the ship to process the raw dilithium. What part of the ship did she want to modify? I also know this. Yeah, obviously I don't know this one. <laughs> <laughs> you gonna hazard a guess? You just want Aaron to answer. Oh, no, that was my answer. I don't know this one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was the auxiliary impulse reactor. That is correct. Oh my gosh. I was gonna say like a cargo bay or something. <laughs> <laughs> what did Captain Janeway say she wanted for breakfast? Um, I remember salmon and asparagus... Um, there's something else too, but I can't remember what it was. But you got part of it. Mm-hmm. It was eggs Benedict with asparagus and then strawberries and cream. That is correct. Oh, where did I get the salmon from? I it must don't have know. been something else I saw recently. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, can I get half a point for the asparagus? Sure. Okay. Sure, why not? Let's see, question number four. How many different colors are on Neelix's chef hat and apron? Ooh, uh, all of them? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm looking for an actual number. How many different different colors? (laughs) Um, no idea. Um, I'm going to say eight. I was going to go with four. Y'all are both so close. I counted six. (laughs) Okay. Of course, what the difference? (laughs) Uh, okay, so question number five. Who does Neelix ask to keep an eye on the kitchen? The random ensign eating... I don't... Did he have a name? He did. Oh my gosh, I didn't notice that at all. <laughs> I found it. Okay. <laughs> he was Ensign Parsons. That is correct. So Aaron, you got four out of five right. Nice. And I don't feel so bad for missing how many colors were on Neelix's... <laughs> Close because it could have been any number. <laughs> it could have been. I was going to ask, like, what specific colors, but I didn't. So <laughs> we would have been here forever. Forever. <laughs> All right. So we get another roll to see who goes next. I get to go next. Question number one How long did Tuvok say he has known Janeway? I don't know. Oh, uh, I found it. I wrote this down. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to hazard a guess and say seven years. Four years. Oh, that is correct. That. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
All right. Question number two. Uh, what did Neelix say was his specialty? I have no idea. <laughs> That's a very broad question. <laughs> it it was know. actually a statement. Like it was, he says, "That's my specialty." I don't know. It's probably like some alien dish that I wouldn't be able to conjure up in my head here. <laughs> I have no idea. It was actually making something out of nothing. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, would not have been able to guess that one. (laughs) Nope, not at all. Kind of almost a trick question, I guess. Okay. When they are on the planetoid and the Vidian compound's hallway appears, how many hanging lights are visible in the ceiling? (laughs) I'm going to guess four. I'm going to say two. You're both going to laugh because it's three. Three. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. So question number four. What type of phasers did Janeway ask the security detachment to carry? I don't even remember that being in the episode. (laughs) Type four phaser. (laughs) I don't even know if that's a real thing or not. I have no idea. I don't have that written down. Well, Sarah, you were very close because they were type three phasers. Oh my gosh. I <laughs> went through the numbers. I was like, I, I was going to say type two first. But then I was like, no, yep. that's not probably right. It's probably type four, but maybe it's type three. And I yeah. almost said type three, but no. <laughs> All right. Question number five. On the bridge, when we are looking back at uh, the stations where Tuvok and Harry are standing, what is the label on the station behind Tuvok? <laughs> um, I can guess, but I have no idea. Wait, where are they standing? On the bridge? Yes. So Tuvok's station on the bridge has a label yeah. on the wall behind him. And that's security and tactical? Security slash tactical or the other way around? I think. I don't know. I remember reading those and I was going to write mm-hmm. like write one down for a question. And I thought, no, because that's obvious. And it's <laughs> not so obvious, actually. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> I'm in the same that's- boat. I had the same thought process. I had the same thought process and then went, I bet you they'll think that's too easy. So I wrote it down as a question. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, I don't think it's security and tactical. I think it's something else. Something like, oh, this is not right. Security station. I don't know. Well, I guess I'll give you a half a point because Megan is correct. Oh. It is security slash tactical. Okay. <laughs> Yay! I knew Harry's was operations. I did remember that, but yes. All right. So at the end of that, I have four points. Megan has two points, and Sarah has one point. All right. Well, there's hope for me to get in the second <laughs> place at least. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My questions here. Okay, question number one. When Janeway first enters the galley, there's a bowl of something on the top shelf next to the door. What is in the bowl? Oh. You know, I thought about asking a background question from there, but there was just so much stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. We just got to pick something. Red yeah. peppers. I'm going to go with mushrooms. I will give Megan half a point on there because I thought that they were apples at first. 
and then I thought maybe they're tomatoes. <laughs> they're really hard to kind of make out. So I was going to take apples or tomatoes, but I didn't even, didn't even think about red peppers. So that could possibly be <laughs> what it was. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> she got the color right, at least. Yeah. So Megan, you get half a point on that one. At Yay! Yay! <laughs> Okay. Catching up to Aaron incrementally. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, question number two. What color are the flowers at Neelix's bedside in sickbay? Oh. I did not write down nearly enough um, background things this time. (laughs) Apparently I didn't either, and I thought I wrote this down. (laughs) (laughs) Blue? I was going to say orange, but that's just a guess. Yeah, neither one of you are right. They were purple. Ugh. (laughs) <laughs> that was my second choice. <laughs> that actually was going to be my... That was what I was vacillating between was blue and purple. I should have gone with purple. Question number three. In the scene where Kess asks the doctor if he's okay in his office, how many pads are on his desk besides the one he's holding? No, and I really know I didn't write enough stuff down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Five. That was also going to be my guess. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, neither one of you are right. It's uh, three. Hmm. Okay, I have one easy question and two that are really in the weeds here. Um, (laughs) So I'll give you the easy one first. Okay, question number four. Which arm does Neelix have his flashlight on while he's exploring the planetoid? Well, I have a 50-50 chance of getting (laughs) this right. And I'm trying to picture it. Left? I think it's right. (laughs) Well, Megan, you are correct. It is the left arm. (laughs) Oh, dear. I'm going to ask the more fun in the weeds question here. Um, (laughs) Question number five. When we first see inside the asteroid chamber, how many Voyager reflections are there? Oh, my word. (laughs) oh man I did not even contemplate counting those (laughs) nope me either Uh, 32 just throw a number out there (laughs) I'm also going to throw a number out there and say 12 oh my gosh Uh, Aaron you are very very close I'm actually probably going to give you a point on that um, because I counted like 13 ish but you know some of them were like half a Voyager or whatever Okay. <laughs> um, so I will take 12 I will take that as as the number wow <laughs> I just wanted That's you awesome. to get in the ballpark of 13 and then I would have been <laughs> yeah. fine so yeah, there's. Uh, I was gonna say there's way less than you think, and then Megan said 32, and I was, you know, I was gonna shut up and see what <laughs> yeah. you came up with. So. <laughs> okay. Well, Aaron won again. Yep. <laughs> but not with as many points as normal. So no. no, this was a very low scoring quiz for all of us. It's because it's been like two weeks since we've seen the episode. That is very true. <laughs> All right, so at the end of the quiz, uh, I have five points. Uh, Megan has two and a half, and Sarah has one. I thought Megan had three and a half. Yeah, I had three and a half. Ah, I must have missed. I I got one one of hers right. One. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> hey, I got the I got the pity point. So <laughs> I got the ballpark point. <laughs> okay, so we will have our listener quiz question from this episode posted on our social media. You can go over to Twitter where we are at Tribbles Podcast to Facebook, where we have our Tribbles and Transporters podcast page and uh, group. And then you can also find us on Instagram at Tribbles and Transporters. So I will post that uh, question up there with some multiple choice answers, and we'll see how many of you get that correct. All right, guys, we're going to try a picture on this. Let's get everybody one, please. Pictures up. Pictures up. Let's roll sound. Rolling. Rolling. Sound speed. Camera speed. Take two. Mark. And action! Okay, so we're going to head into the writer's room for this episode. This episode was written by Sky Dent, Brandon Braga, Tim DeHaas, and Kenneth Biller. Sky Dent, this is her only episode that she ever wrote of Star Trek. Of course, Brandon Braga is a very famous writer and producer on multiple series, TNG Voyager and Enterprise. And he also wrote Generations, First Contact, and he is uh, now writing for the Orville. Tim DeHaas has written one TNG episode, and this is the only Voyager episode that he worked on. And Kenneth Biller was the story editor for this episode. And he was on the writing team and producing team for most of the run of Voyager as well. And he also wrote the Star Trek Experience Klingon Encounter in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. Uh, This script was written in the fall of 1994, so before uh, the show aired in January. The original story for this episode was pitched by Timothy de Haas, and his story was going to be that Lieutenant Paris had had his heart blown out by something, and so the doctor was going to equip him with a holographic uh, heart replacement. But the writing team decided they wanted to go more with uh, the alien story where they harvested organs instead. So Jerry Taylor, who is also one of the kind of legendary writers on the more modern series of Star Trek or the 90s series of Star Trek, said that they based this story on a couple of historical things, the Mayans and their the Mayans and their cannibalism, and also the question of what if the Europeans had never eradicated the bubonic plague? So they used those kind of historical scenarios as inspiration for the plot of this episode. They wanted to explore the idea of a villain that did horrible things, but wasn't really a villain because they were just trying to survive, basically. Michael Piller said he liked the idea of an alien culture who are a civilized people but are forced to do uncivilized things in order to survive. The writers also decided to use a real pathogen called a bacterial phage as the basis for their virus in this episode. Or I guess it wouldn't be a virus if it's a bacteria. <laughs> is it a, it's a virus in this episode though, right? Um, I don't, I don't think know it, if it's stated, is it? Yeah, I don't think so. Okay, well they got the phage idea from that anyway. Mm. Uh, Sky Dent was a freelance writer who wrote the first draft of this. So she decided that she wanted to put Kess and Elix together in a vulnerable position because they had a relationship that would be more emotionally appealing to the viewers than the other crew members, for instance. 
because they had that kind of connection before getting onto Voyager. So she based her story idea on the experiences she had while skydiving and learning that some people had become paraplegics after accidents. She said that because death isn't that scary to her, having to live as a paraplegic would be even scarier to most human beings, and that's how Neelix feels. The director for this episode was Winrick Colby, and uh, he is a famous name in the director circle for Star Trek, having directed 16 TNG, 13 DS9, 18 Voyager, and one Enterprise episode. This episode of Voyager was one of his favorites to direct, because he thought the storyline takes the aliens off of that pedestal of being weird and gives them some humanity. And of course, this episode filmed on Paramount stages 8, 9, and 10, or 8, 9, and 16, excuse me, the same ones as TNG. And they filmed it in the middle of December, just before their Christmas break. This episode was released in the United States on February 6, 1995, and Europe got it between the years of 1996 and 99. So moving over to our guest stars for this episode, we we really only have two main guest stars, uh, and they are the two Vidian characters in this. So we have Cully Fredrickson, who played Dareth. Uh, he is also seen in uh, First Contact playing the Vulcan captain that comes down to uh, make First Contact with humans. Really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> So then um, footage from that was also used in the Enterprise episode In a Mirror Darkly. So then he also um, guest starred in a couple of other things with some Trek actors, including a short-lived series called Live Shot. uh, And that starred, or at least guest starred several Trek actors, including Casey Biggs and Chase Masterson. And then he's best known for voicing and providing his appearance for General Rom Coda in the Star Wars The Force Unleashed video games. And then our other Vidian character is Stephen B. Rappaport. And uh, he did not cross over very much with, uh, with many uh, Star Trek actors and, in fact, only had a few credits that I could find, uh, including guest starring in episodes of NYPD Blue and Brooklyn South. So just two names to mention there. I have a little accident. I lose a pair of lungs. And the next thing I know... Paris is swooping in like a reptilian vulture. What are you talking about? Didn't you hear the way that he said that? I'll be on the bridge if you need me. If you need me. Neelix. Why doesn't he just pull the plug on the holographic emitter and get it over with? Get me out of the way so he can have you all to himself. Neelix, you're overreacting. Okay, so we're going to get into our episode discussion now. We're going to start at the beginning where, with the dilithium reserves running low, Janeway follows Neelix's advice and proceeds to the nearest known supply. When they arrive in orbit, scans reveal a massive supply. However, when the away team transports down to the planet, there is none there. Completely confused, Commander Jakote orders the away team back to Voyager, but before they return, Neelix is attacked by an alien who removes his lungs. Yeah, I have to say, like, it's um, the scanner weapon 
thing that they invented for this, I thought it was pretty genius. Mm. Like it, it, um, not, I mean, it's used for a very terrible purpose, but I thought it was brilliant on what they came up with for it. I think it's just because it's something that had never been thought of before. Yeah. Yeah. I quite enjoy the Vidians as a kind of enemy race because, well, exactly what Sarah said in the overview of the writing, um, they are aliens that they're not just kind of the big, scary, bad guys like the Kazon were supposed to be. And they're, Mm -hmm. they're not, you know, bumbling like the Ferengi and they're not, uh, you know, just the dark and broody, you know, leave us alone types or anything like that. They, they are sophisticated uh, people who have had something horrible happen to them and they're just trying to survive. And the only way they've figured out to do it turns them into monsters. Mm -hmm. So, I like that aspect of this species, and I thought this was a really unique way to introduce um, this kind of conundrum. Well, I admit that I was really shocked when that's what the problem was with Neelix, when the EMH was like, he he has no lungs, basically. Um, That was kind of like a shock moment for me. I wasn't expecting that. And so, yeah, that did its job for me. It was kind of like grabbing me um it it was something that i think is new because i don't think i've of course i hadn't seen this episode before and i don't remember another star trek episode where people's organs had been removed before so um so yes that was a brand new concept to me and it was you know it's a pretty good one actually Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean it really it really is It's, it's how far would you go yeah. What, how far would you go to save yourself and save your family? I really enjoyed the the beginning of this episode, though, with um, Neelix cooking in the galley. <laughs> yeah. A nice little fun, lighthearted way to start it. And uh, I, I thought really the whole like opening was good, you know, with Janeway and Chakotay having a very casual conversation, talking about breakfast and, and all of that. Um, they seem to have settled into a nice rapport for not having been together for very long on the Voyager at this point. They yeah. seem very comfortable with each other. But yeah, I thought that that was good and that Neelix just took over the captain's private dining room, which I didn't know existed, actually. <laughs> yeah. I don't even think Picard had a private dining room on the Enterprise D. Well, I always thought that was a odd concept here because... I, I could kind of see it on the Enterprise where they go on so many diplomatic missions and, you know, to have some place where the captain, you know, might host special guests or something like that. But to have that on Voyager did seem a little odd to me. Mm-hmm. And it also made me wonder, okay, so this is introduced as this is going to be the mess hall for the ship. Um, and it becomes, it basically fills the same role as 10 forward does in TNG. Well, the mess hall was already there because that's in caretaker. Um, but I think he just took over, like she had her own dining room off the mess hall. 
that he took over. Oh, well, that could be that 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 small area. See, I always thought of it as the whole thing was, and I wondered, I'm like, well, clearly they had a mess hall for the crew. Like, so I was confused. I never thought of it as that small room off to the side was the captain's private. Yeah. That was the impression I got. Okay. That that he just took in that space. 20 years of watching Voyager and you just, <laughs> just finding this out. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just never even con- considered it. Cause I just assumed that was always the kitchen. See, it just more hits me as weird as it's being, it's on deck too. This is just below the bridge. <laughs> like, I didn't, I didn't, I thought the mess hall and that was on a, like a much lower deck and not deck two. Yeah. We'll see what I, I mean, I'm kind of lost here because I haven't seen enough Voyager, but, but the episodes I have seen of Voyager, it always looked like Neelix was cooking in the mess hall to me. He is. He just, the Captain Janeway no longer has a private dining room. It's now the kitchen of the mess hall. Yeah, but you can see it. Like it's not separated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why I always assumed that was always the kitchen. So I wonder if maybe there was some sort of separation there. I'll have to go back and watch caretaker and see if you can see the kitchen part. Yeah. Let us know. Cause it, for me, it didn't look like the, from what I remember that the, the structure of the mess hall from the caretaker looked the same. Yeah. To me. Well, I, I and know. I was even a little confused cause it's been a while since I've seen this episode so when we first see Chakotay and Janeway walking down the corridor, I was like, wait a minute, where is there a corridor with exterior windows? Right. Because I don't know that we ever see that again. So I was thinking, okay, did they have them walk through a portion of the mess hall set as if it was a corridor? So yeah, I was very confused with that whole setup. And then... I remembered the um, the scene of Janeway walking in and being like, okay, what are you doing in my dining room? But I was, for some reason, had always assumed that was the whole, like the whole mess hall was her private dining room. I don't know. I mean, to have a private dining room is not an odd concept for me because it's so prominent in Enterprise, even though Enterprise came after this. Yeah, I was about to say Enterprise has that, too. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Aaron, research, let us know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, like, that's the thing on naval ships, though, you know, is that the the captain has his private dining room. But so I'm sure that's probably where they got it from. But it's just weird that the Enterprise D, the galaxy class ship, doesn't have that. Right. They never showed it to us if if it exists. But I think it's in the E. I think is it's it? on Emprise E, yeah, because, it, um, or maybe it is, one of the, not first contact, but the one of the two that came after that, that they're hosting a um, diplomatic lunch. No, it's Insurrection. That's Insurrection, but I thought yeah. that, that was just in the, um, they don't call it the mess hall, the lounge or whatever. It looked like a Tim Ford type area, but then he goes yeah. into a separate room to take the conference oh. call. Yeah, but well, they didn't show what the room was, though. He no, just, but that, I mean, that, in my mind, that could have been the captain's <laughs> mess. I don't know. <laughs> All right. 
I don't. I actually did. I thought. I thought it was like a like a closet or <laughs> with a comet or something. <laughs> I mean, it was. It, it was looked very small. Whatever you stepped into, but I don't know. They all they did was show the doors, really. Mm-hmm. But it's weird that the Enterprise D though. That's the one that you would think would have all of the, all of the amenities. Yeah, and yeah. The one that was sent on multiple, in theory, multiple diplomatic missions, and um, yeah, you would think. They always ate in the um, conference room mm-hmm. <laughs> whenever they had like dinners or whatever. So. Yeah. I also thought it was interesting that, you know, the the crew, they all have, you know, replicators in their quarters and they have space to eat, or at least the officers do. I don't know what the, the main crew quarters look like. Um and Janeway has probably the biggest ready room of any captain. Right. <laughs> so, like, why wouldn't you just eat there or in your quarters? Um, well, I always confuse her ready room with her quarters. Yeah. That's why. That's why. Because they're so big, I guess. Yeah. I want her office. <laughs> I know. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's like she's like the most spoiled captain ever. She's got a huge... <laughs> Huge well, ready room. <laughs> they were looking at it from the writer's viewpoint. Let's give her a nice office. We're going to strand her so far <laughs> from home. Let's yeah. give her a nice, something nice. Okay, so anyway, back on Voyager in the, uh, s- it's not called sick bay, is it? Mm-hmm. Yep. It is called sick bay. Okay. Mm-hmm. I keep thinking they use different terms on Voyager for stuff. So Mm-mm. it's just Deep Space Nine that it's different. Okay. Well, you know, the, you have the mess hall. That's different too. Yeah. Um, so the EMH comes up with a solution to fix Neelix. He's going to make some holographic lungs, but this means that Neelix has to stay in a restraint while he has the lungs and he is unable to move no more than 0.02 nanometers in any direction. Captain Janeway, along with Commander Tuvok and a security attachment, return to the planet to find the alien who did this, and they make a very gruesome discovery, a laboratory full of alien organs, and then realize that there was a life in that very room less than 10 minutes ago. Scans detect the life form, and when they catch up with him, Tuvok knocks the alien's weapon out of his hand. The alien escapes and leaves on a ship. There were a lot of things that I found as just little nitpicky kind of contradictions um, or, you know, things that stood out as kind of funny to me. Like they're here on this little planetoid in this big cavern and Neelix is walking around and a, a hallway appears out of nowhere. And he doesn't even react to that as being odd. He's just like, oh, hey, is anybody there? Mm-hmm. Um, and then little things like, um, Chakotay tells Janeway that, uh, Neelix was unconscious when they got to him. Right. Well, no, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> he probably wishes he was. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just little funny things like that. Um, well, that, and then sick bay, the, um, water wall that apparently was some kind of necessary medical instrument reading. <laughs> it's like, what possible? He's studying this so intently. What is the doctor learning from the bubbles? <laughs> yep. Yeah. 
I remember that. It's it's like the um the blue and red jars that were always in sick bay on <laughs> yeah. TNG. That were always just sitting there for no reason. <laughs> oh, I was just gonna say I about the like Neelix's reaction, I thought it was strange that he didn't like let anybody know what was going on. He just went off exploring on his own. I was expecting him to at least tell Chakotay, hey, uh something you know, has opened up here in the wall or something like that. Um, so th- I, I guess it's because he's not Starfleet trained or whatever. Right. That, I was kind of like, Neelix, just report to them what, what's going on. You yeah. Know, exactly. They're asking you like 10 million times. Well, just in case anybody hears any strange sounds, we have been joined by James Tiberius Cat. Hi, Ty. <laughs> what's up, Ty? He is rubbing on the microphone. <laughs> oh, yes. I try to hold it still, but uh, yeah, it makes lots of funny sounds. So one thing that I thought was interesting in this segment was, first of all, the idea of putting holographic lungs in Neelix, um, I thought was pretty unique and ingenious. Um, but I also thought it was interesting that it's presented as there's only two options. The two options are we get Neelix's own lungs back or he stays on these holographic lungs forever. Um, and the, the reason they say that is because it would take too long to create um, artificial lungs or modify somebody else's lung to fit Neelix. Well, if you're talking about having him being on these holographic lungs indefinitely, why not just use that as the time to do something right. else? Or, yeah. you know, use that as the time to get his own lungs back. Like they act like it's they're mutually exclusive options. Well, I in the back of my head the entire time I was like the transporter, the transporter has to be a way <laughs> to do this. It's like you can recreate an entire body. This is the whole thing with the transporter and Star Trek in general is like, you should be able to just like, you would think say, okay, let's take this part of Neelix's pattern and mm. like yeah. recreate it or something. So I know that there's supposed to be technical reasons why they can't do that, but yeah, still like, if you're going to make a holographic lung, you should be able to, <laughs> or they could use the, the in next generation, if they can use them in stored pattern, from the last time they transported to revert yeah. them from child to back to grown up, like <laughs> surely this is possible. Yeah. Yeah. My one thing with that was like, maybe there's some sort of limitation on it that it can't just straight up create living tissue. Like it has to be a full uh, being in order to have, you know, the life in it, I guess. Um, just so kind of like you can't replicate a, uh, a charged battery. So like, because you can't replicate the energy. Yeah. I don't know. This is like the holodeck thing to me. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> yeah, that's where I got a little confused. Yeah. It's definitely why would of- Neelix have to stay so still when the doctor can walk around and do whatever he wants. Yeah, that's true. Well, because the doctor's not interfacing so directly with um, live tissue, like yeah. organic tissue. Yeah. 
But uh, yeah, it's it's a very interesting concept, and I liked how it was implemented. And then, of course, you take Neelix, who's this very frenetic, mm-hmm. energetic character, and make him have to stay still. And you know that to him would be almost as bad as being dead. So I I think they were they did a good job in switching like Sarah said, from Paris, who, yeah, it would have been rough on him, but it wouldn't be the same as they did this with Neelix. Well, even with Paris, if it had been his heart, like, Captain McCard has an artificial heart. You would think they'd be able to replicate that. Like, that's not a new technology, so. Yeah, and they probably could have because he's human. Yeah. Whereas Neelix being Talaxian and the doctor really only has Neelix as a representative of a a Talaxian to know. So I think that was a very good decision on the part of the writers to make it uh, more intricate and make the story a little bit, uh, I was going to say more clear, but that's not a good way to put it. Well, I have a question, though. Remember the TNG episode where Worf got paralyzed and they had to, like, rebuild his spine? Or yeah, I just watched that episode the other day. Yeah. It's they replicated another spine for him, hmm. and it didn't take very long. So I'm wondering if they just didn't have, like, the equipment to do that or something like that. But Well, in yeah, that I episode, mean, that was experimental. Like, you th- think it would have eventually had become part of the modern medicine. But in that episode, it was 100% experimental, never been done before. He was the first living person um, Mm. to have had that done with, with the way that that doctor was doing it. So, and he died in it. So it was his secondary systems that, that Klingons have that brought him back to life. I forgot that he died. In that yeah, one. He died. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I thought that they could have used instead of going after the Vidians to get uh, Neelix's own lungs back, couldn't they have just gone to Talax and gotten you know somebody to donate a lung? <laughs> right. You would think. Yeah, but I mean. You're also looking at a ship when they're having to look for the lithium because they're running low. They're yeah. on replicator rations because they don't have enough energy or they're on rations. They're not even replicator rations yet. They're on rations to eat because they don't yeah. have enough energy for replicators. So I can see why they wouldn't make an unnecessary, no, unnecessary. That's not a right word, but yeah, a potentially long trip. Well, I mean, <laughs> you're, you're, Face with going a little bit out of your way versus Neelix having to stay still for the entirety of his life. I mean, mm. I think I would have taken that chance and gone back to Talaxi or whatever the planet's called. Because that's just a miserable existence, you know, otherwise. Yeah. So I actually thought that he took it very well, honestly. Um, he didn't seem to react very much at first. It, it wasn't until like halfway through the episode to where he started getting like claustrophobic and realizing the predicament that he was in. So I, I thought that, I don't know, it just seemed to hit him pretty late mm-hmm. in the episode. I think that's partly just Neelix's optimism. He's just so 
positive about everything that it takes a little while for the negatives to sit in. Maybe that's when the Xanax worn off. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, I would have been having a panic attack if I was in that situation. Oh, me too. For real. (laughs) I would have done it much sooner than he did. Oh yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. I would have been on anti-anxiety medication. Yeah. I mean, as a matter of fact, like I was thinking if I was in that situation where you literally couldn't move, like you couldn't even get off the bed. Yeah. Like what, what can, what kind of existence is that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I I guess with uh, paraplegics or whatever, you can still like put them in a wheelchair and they can still go places and they can still, I guess, I guess they can't move their arms and their legs usually, but um, I actually don't know too much about it, honestly. Um, but you can still do more than just lay down on a bed generally, I think. I could be wrong about that, but... Well, yeah, it depends. Uh, like a paraplegic, usually it's just their legs that are paralyzed so that they have their hands and everything. Uh, but if you're quadriplegic, then usually oh, yeah. it's just from like the neck up that you have control of. Yeah. But still, there are advances allowing people to use computers, you know, controlling them by looking at things with their eyes and stuff like that. So, uh, mm-hmm. there, there are advances that make that a little bit more so that you're still able to interact with the world. Um, well, I just think of Stephen Hawking, you know, in his situation. Yeah. Or even but, like Christopher Reeve. Yeah. But this is way worse than that. Because yeah. Yeah. like you can't you can't leave your spot <laughs> ever, you ever. know, and, and you're just looking at the ceiling, you know. I yeah. mean, I, I was just thinking watching this. I was like, you know, I I think I would probably not want to live in that situation, you know. Yeah, which that's kind of why I I thought about like why is this a life sentence for him? Um, you know, especially since they the only reason they rejected using an artificial lung or something was because of time. And yet you're saying he's going to spend the rest of his life like this. Right. You've bought time by using a holographic lung. Now fix him. Yeah. But then that wouldn't have made for as suspenseful an episode. So very true. (laughs) I guess, but I, I do agree with you, Aaron. It's just a really ridiculous position to ask of Neelix. You know, it's, yeah. I mean, that is, that is like torture basically that they're asking him to live through. Yeah. You know, so I, I agree. I, I feel like that they should have tried harder <laughs> to come up with a different <laughs> solution. Okay. Well, after the uh, alien escapes them, Voyager gives pursuit, but the ships are both equally matched for speed. The alien ship then takes refuge in an asteroid. Voyager continues to scan once inside the main cavern of the asteroid. The crew see many reflections of Voyager and the alien ship. However, electromagnetic interference stops them from detecting which one is the correct ship. So they send out a low-energy phaser beam, which will pass through any reflections, but hit the alien ship without damaging it. Once they detect the alien ship, they beam the crew aboard. So they get two very strange-looking aliens called Vidians who go around harvesting organs from aliens and then grafting them onto themselves because they have a genetic disease called the phage. This disease affects them on the cellular level, 
So to survive, they need to replace their organs regularly. Horrified by what these aliens do and how they're able to throw their morals aside, Janeway realizes that she is unable to get Neelix's lungs back. She then sees that there is nothing she can do but let them go. But she does give them a harsh warning to never cross her ship again. In what appears to be an act of compassion, the aliens offer to help with the transplantation of one of Kessa's lungs into Neelix. I also thought it was interesting in this to have the Vidians being so uh, advanced in their medical technology because throughout the series of Voyager, they come across a lot of uh, species that are less advanced than they are and only occasionally come across, you know, more advanced ones that uh, can really teach Voyager something. So I thought it was neat to have this species be so advanced in their medical technology that they're able to do things very basically um, that, you know, the doctor considers impossible. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was pretty funny when they uh, called the, you know, Starfleet's medicine primitive, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that when he scanned the doctor and he goes, according to my readings, you are not here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Star Trek doesn't do that very often where they encounter a superior uh, species or whatever to them. Yeah. It happens once in a while. Uh, I know on TNG, um, Deep Space Nine, I haven't seen enough of to know. But, um, well, I guess like the founders and stuff were more advanced i guess yeah. than starfleet but but yeah i like it when they do that because it kind of knocks you down a peg you know because yeah. you you get the um you always think of course to us you know star what's on star trek is you know this cool futuristic stuff and really advanced and then you get you know somebody saying well no it's actually primitive you know it's just kind of like yeah. makes you realize how far you know, we have to go with some stuff still. So, when I would like think because I was just reading back through my notes and I wrote down that they had mentioned that this phage affected their people two millennia ago. So, for 2000 years, this people group have been dealing with this in the best way that they knew how, but like to have come up with a disease that seems to be completely incurable because they're so far advanced medically, you would think at some point a cure would have been found in 2000 years. I mean, really? Well, I mean, that's why they were, they were playing with that historical question of, well, what if the bubonic plague had never been cured? You know, we'd still be living with that today. And what would, you know, uh, earth be like? Yeah. Much less populous probably. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine after what we've, what we've been through the past year with uh, COVID, I can't imagine right. <laughs> what life would be like if that was oh, the yeah. case. But yeah, 2,000 years is a very, very long time to be dealing with this. You would think, though, if they were that technically advanced, they would be able to figure out a cure for this. Yeah. I mean, at, I was trying to think through like diseases... Um, that humanity itself are still d- dealing with that are not that we would have more than likely been dealing with in the entire time, um, which would be the cold, common cold, probably, and maybe cancer. I, yeah. I would probably throw malaria in there. Yeah, 
But as far as like contagious illnesses, like there really isn't anything from 2000 years ago. I mean, maybe the flu, but still like that we know of today that we know that this existed 2000 years ago. We, there's nothing. Well, I mean, the way died that out we, on its own or, yeah, or cured or it. Yeah. Cured. Yeah. I just thought that was interesting that they made that a, the number point that they'd been dealing with this for 2000 years. It's one of those weird things where if I watching this post COVID, it like hits me on a different level than if yeah. I was watching it pre COVID because I had never, or I, I guess most most of us had never experienced any sort of contagion like this before. Um, right, and so you know, in the past, this is actually is not just this episode; it's in other Star Trek episodes I've seen in the last year where there is some sort of contagion or virus. Um, going on 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 another planet um like i get it now like before i would just kind of like go eh, and not really pay much attention to it you know it was just part of this background of the plot to me Mm. but now that we've been through what we have it's like a more real thing to me and like i understand it better and so it's just this it's been interesting watching star trek in the last year um, as I've probably yeah. seen two or three episodes where, you know, there's a huge like viral outbreak on this planet and they had to get the, uh, um, whatever cure to them. Yeah. The, uh, what, what is it called? <laughs> the shot the vaccine. <laughs> yes. The vaccine. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They have to get the vaccine, you know, and they'll they'll yeah. specifically use that, uh, like code of honor, for instance, right. mm-hmm. you know that when whenever I watched that previously, it didn't like even phase me at all. It's like, oh yeah, yeah they're sick and they need a vaccine, whatever. But now it's like when I hear that, I'm like, oh okay, yeah, I know what that's like now. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's been interesting because my mom said that um, she f- thinks that people who were alive when polio and all of those diseases were much more prevalent, probably have a very different perspective on COVID than those of us who've never had to live through any of those. You know, I never had measles or mumps or polio or anything like that. And I didn't know anybody who did, but you know, a lot of people who are still alive did and, you know, they probably have a different perspective on it. Just yeah, so maybe. they'd be more sensitive to it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway, yeah, that, that 2,000 years, going back to this episode, when they said that, that that hit me in a way. If I, like like I said, before pre-COVID, they wouldn't have, uh, I wouldn't have paid any attention to it. But when they said, well, we've had this for 2,000 years, I was just thinking, oh my gosh, what if, mm. what if we were in this COVID situation for 2,000 years, like? What a miserable existence that would be. Yeah. I had one interesting question that I thought of um, in relation to doing the lung transplant from Kess to Neelix. Um, Kess being an Ocampa, they they frequently refer to the fact that she only lives a very short lifespan. Mm-hmm. Like she lives about nine years. 
And, you know, through most of Voyager, she's only like one or two years old. Um, I wondered if when they transplant her lung into Neelix, would Neelix's systems kind of change the tissues so that they are going to be longer lasting? Because... I would think that the Ocompan genetics that would be in those tissues would cause it to um, like age more quickly. So I don't know whether that would make it so that the the lung wouldn't last very long or would kind of the, the changes that the Vidians made to it um, – to fit Neelix's biochemistry and everything have fixed that. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I would assume at most it'd be the latter that, yeah, that the Vidians would have taken that into account, but I, it's not even something that I thought of until you started talking about it. And I was like, well, that makes sense. So it, it's more from my perspective, it's something that the writers didn't think of. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> to make no. it thing. Well, I mean, it was Sky Sky Dent's, you know, idea to have this be a Cass Neelix story, yeah. and so I th- that was her concern was just that connection, and I don't think she thought about all of that. <laughs> um, yeah, but but you know, just like in universe, I would imagine that if they have the technology to, um, you know, if it's that advanced, they'd be able to do something to make it work. But I had completely forgotten. I I did know that about Kess, but I had completely forgotten it. So I I didn't, like Megan, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, and that may just be some of my biology background kind of kicking in and going, hmm, remember your cellular biology stuff that you learned? (laughs) Yeah, I um, didn't get that far in science. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how all that works. I'm not saying I know how it works. <laughs> Just uh, maybe uh, tickled the question in my mind. Yeah. The whole uh, thing with the guy that had th- – this just rubbed me weird. I don't know if it did you guys or not, but the fact that the guy that had Neelix's lungs was standing in sickbay next to him, looking at him on the table, it just – that felt strange to me. Like, hmm. your lungs are right here inside this guy, and – you know, that's the reason that you're on the table. And it's just kind of like, I get that they can't kill him, you know, or whatever, but it's just a very, very awkward situation. Yeah. Yeah. That's where the whole, from the whole moral dilemma comes in of, you know, uh, this species has gone and made choices over the last 2000 years that we would hope we wouldn't make, that we wouldn't make the choice to sacrifice someone else's life so that completely so that I could survive that I'm going to kill them so I can get what I need from them to live. Well, could the alien have offered to give Neelix back one of his lungs? They, that came up, and they said no, it had been too adapted mm. to this person. Um, so basically, like from what I gathered, is once a Vidian takes an organ and adapts it into a Vidian physiology, it can't be reversed. So that alien that, that took Neelix's lungs, knew in his mind knew that Neelix was going to die. 
Mm-hmm. I've done something that's going to make this person die. You know, I think that they missed a uh, opportunity here, though, to have instead of Janeway being the one that had to confront the alien or whatever, have Neelix do that because there was basically almost no interaction between Neelix and the guy that took his lungs. Yeah. And I think that that would have been a really strong point in the script if they had done something with those two characters together. I think that was part of what was missing in this scene was that it was like Neelix didn't even react to this guy that had his Mm -hmm. lungs inside of him. And here he was like paralyzed for the rest of his life. And so it was just like, and and then the alien just seemed way more comfortable than I would have been in that situation. (laughs) You know, if I had this, if I knew I was the reason that this guy was, you know, laying on the table or whatever, and I had his body parts inside of me. Especially since you, you would think that if they're so certain that what they're doing kills the other person, he would not ever expect to come face to face with Neelix. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very awkward situation and they don't address it at all in this and i think that they missed the boat on it Mm. also i forgot about this in the episode but um did neelix and kaz have some romantic thing going on yeah yeah so all since the beginning oh really yeah i didn't pick up on that in the first few episodes yeah (laughs) i mean that's that's why neelix went back to get Cass. Mm-hmm. And caretaker. Well, I thought that they were friends. I didn't pick mm-hmm. up on any romance between them. Mm-hmm. They didn't do anything that was romantic. They just acted like friends the entire time. Nope, they're a couple. Well, yep. how am I supposed to know that they didn't act like one? <laughs> well, I mean that's why he calls her sweeting and mm-hmm. stuff like that, rather than just Cass. And you know, then he gets very, very jealous. Um, several times which i that was another thing that i thought was an interesting moment um of neelix realizing he's paralyzed forever um because he went very quickly from well what what does paris mean you know where to find me you know you're you're going off with him to well i'm stuck here forever you better look go on with your life and find someone who can take care of you it's like in the same scene he goes from one to the other. <laughs> well, he was just, I don't know. Like his his reactions to things in this episode were off, I felt like. Yeah. But I you know I didn't want to say too much about it because I don't know his character as well as you mm-hmm. both do. So you know, for all I knew, it was in character for him to act like that. But I did think he was being very erratic with the way he was acting. Or yeah. non reactive at all in some cases. So Okay, so just a few behind-the-scenes things that I uh, found in researching this episode. Um, Since we're sort of talking about the end of the episode, so Kate Mulgrew, um, when they were in the transporter room scene with the Vidians learning about the history, she really was emotional um, and trying to fight back tears (laughs) over um, how this species had been written and the plight that they had gone through. Those were not... um, her and Captain Janeway's reaction that was actually her genuine reaction um, to what was being said. Um, also in this episode, the subterranean Vidian corridor um, that's in the um, planetoid at the beginning of the episode was a reuse of the hidden corridor that the crew members find um, in caretaker 
um, behind the holographic barn. <laughs> um, makeup supervisor Michael Westmore designed the final look for the Vidians um, as a single mask for each Vidian covering their the actor's entire head. Um, and then the actors also had dentures and contacts that they wore. The exterior of the asteroid that the Vidians used for cover was a six-foot painted hunk of acetone-etched styrofoam that had previously been used as the main asteroid in Next Generation's episode, The Pegasus. Um, hmm. TNG used I a different... I thought that yeah. looks familiar. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so Next Generation used a different side um, of that asteroid for their episode, with the exception of two shots. Um, so two shots from the Pegasus are also used in Voyager's um, uh, view screen when they're looking at the asteroid. Uh, the hollow mirrors effect was done by Amblin uh, imagining the Vidian ship was a composite of a reused studio model that was uh, originally built for Star Trek three, the search for Spock and a CG model that was used exclusively for this episode. And then this is the first of several episodes that the doctor uses. I'm a doctor, not a <laughs> fill in the blank catchphrase. I I thought it was the first one. I caught that, and I thought, well, that's got to be a a play on the, the original series. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah, in fact, I think the Voyager Doctor, I'm not sure how many times he uses it, but it may a be lot. even more than McCoy. <laughs> yeah. All right, so that was our discussion of this episode. We would like to hear what you thought of this episode of Voyager or any of the episodes that we referenced or have talked about so far. You can let us know those things by going over to social media. You will find us on Twitter at Tribbles Podcast, on Instagram for Tribbles and Transporters, and also on our Facebook group and page. You can also reach out to us through our email. Uh, we have gotten a couple emails from you guys out there, and uh, we appreciate the feedback. So our email is tribblesandtransporters at gmail.com. And you'll find the links to all of that in the episode description, depending on which app you're listening in. Our next episode is going to be from Enterprise. We're going to watch what I... think is one of the more famous episodes called the andorian incident i've heard a lot about this episode before i'm assuming we're going to be introduced to the andorians (laughs) just a guess (laughs) yeah i've heard a lot about the andorians being in enterprise and how a lot more of their society gets fleshed out and things like that so i'm looking forward to this one yeah me too it's been a really like to the point i don't even remember this episode been a really long time since i've seen it so i just recognize the title from the internet i've just seen it around a lot so i feel like it's going to be one of the more popular episodes of enterprise and i think um we'll probably meet what's the character name the famous andorian on this uh shran shran i wonder if this is where he's introduced on enterprise it could be You'll have to join us next time so you can find out, I guess, unless you've already (laughs) seen this episode. Uh, I haven't seen it, so this will be my first time watching it. Yes, for me as well. All right. Well, thanks for listening to this episode, and we'll hope you join us next time. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.